0: Welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the show dedicated to stories told through the medium of sound, showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. Here, Hear your news, reviews, discussion, and of course, stories. I'm your host, Fred, and that great theme music is by Roger Gregg of Crazy Dog Audio Theater. And, uh, you know, Roger Gregg's uh, name came up in kind of an unusual way uh, for the show you're about to hear today. Uh, both myself and the guest I talked to were wearing one of Roger Gregg's uh, t-shirts from the Crazy Dog Audio Theater. Um, and Roger Gregg is in a most famous production. Um, Bet you will not be able to guess Roger Gregg in this scene. Computer?
1: Is there someone on this ship? Are they heading for the bridge? Who is it?
2: Well, a girl! On
1: the Sarquan, the the on the speech terminals are on the bridge! Computer, when I ungag you, remind me to punch myself in the mouth. Either mouth. Look, one for yes, two for no. Is it dangerous? Mm. It is? Mm. You didn't just go mm. twice. Mm-hmm.
3: Huh. I guess the trick would be to reach the bridge before whoever it is does. Wait here. You know what I mean.
0: Any guesses? Uh, Roger Gregg played Eddie, the robot. And, of course, the drama should not surprise you. It is one of the new generations of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, produced by Dirk Maggs. Uh, And where do we even start with Dirk? Dirk is one of the living legends of modern audio theater, uh, producing for decades. Um, I misquote later, I say almost 30. He's been over 30 years producing um, in affiliation with the BBC, originally and now on to his own productions, um, first with Above the Title, now with Perfectly Normal Productions, Uh, and he's just he's just one of those guys he's uh, sort of really innovated what the bbc was doing for audio uh, moving it outside of studio dramatic readings in the early 80s, moving these comic books and uh, bringing them to, to audio drama in a way that no one's really done uh, before or since, uh, quite, to, quite to the same level. Uh, worked on Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, Judge Dredd. Uh, worked with folks like my good friend uh, Bill Dufres, uh, who has gone on to a whole life of audiobooks and audio drama productions. Then, of course, being called back to continue with the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series with the final three books, um, you know, the first two radio series were what they were, and then he adapted Life, the Universe, and Everything, So Long and Thanks for All the Fish, and Mostly Harmless as the tertiary, quandary, and quintessential phase um, in the period from around 2004 to 2005, those all went On the air. So, um, of course, he's gotten some attention for that, but Dirk has done so, so much more. Really, what he's done is pioneer uh, a a real movie sound for audio drama. And you can hear that on everything that he's done and worked with such a pool of talent, uh, produced so much great audio that it is an amazing pleasure to get him here on the show. Uh, And I'll say so, most of Dirk's work, of course, has been commercially released, so we will not be hearing a full uncut drama today, but I'll be giving you lots of snacks from some of the different pieces he's done over the years. We talked to Dirk uh, at length through most of the show. He has so much to say about audio drama, uh, and I, I hope you'll enjoy the interview as much as I enjoyed speaking with Dirk myself. And we'll, So we'll have that, as well as some indicative clips. But we've got So much more for you today as well. Um, It's just kind of been one of these stretches where we get new exciting news about audio drama all the time. Um, This week, if you were paying attention to the radiodramarevival.com blog, um, I put up a notice for the Atlanta Fringe Festival seeking out audio um, audio entries for their festival. Um, you can follow the links up at com for that. also got news for my friend Jerry Stearns, who, uh, of course, is also the organizer of the Mark Time Awards, as well as writer and uh, producer at Great Northern Audio Theater and runs his own show called Sound Effects, which you can hear streamed or archived on KFAI it is uh, another Radio Drama Revival-like program featuring audio drama from across the world. Jerry and Brian Price uh, have redone their great northern audio theater website Uh, great northern audio theater is a huge treasure trove of audio knowledge as well as uh the catalogs of their material and uh, i'll let jerry in his own words
1: tell you what's going on the great northern audio theater is finally relaunching its website with over 65 combined years of audio theater experience we have at long last found the door to the 21st century The key was under the mat.
4: Just a minute, sonny.
5: I gotta go and take a whiz first. I'm a wizard, you know.
1: (laughs) The new GreatNorthernAudio.com has news on Brian and Jerry, exciting pages and clips from our catalog, and works from the archives available only here, and the very latest On The Mark Time Awards. Uh, By the way, what is that smell? Dwarfs. Yeah, I love the smell of dwarfs in the morning. Remember our motto. Ours is not to invent the machines of the future. Ours is to make fun of them when they break down.
2: This meeting of Earth Anonymous has saved my life many, many, many times. Without my sponsor and you guys, I'd have been a little pile of red crystals Blow it across a freeway overpass years ago.
1: The new Great Northern audio.com.
0: yeah, so do check that out. That's at Great Northern audio.com. Great Northern audio.com. And one more big promo. I have been talking up The Cleansed. I can't avoid that. The Cleansed is coming up next week. You're going to hear the first podcast installment to get you geared up for that. I'm going to replay. This is a promo of the pilot episode. So if you want to go and refresh yourself with the world. that we entered October of 2010. Wow, is it that long ago we started this whole thing? October 2010, The Cleansed, uh, the first Episode Zero, um, called the pilot. It's also the episode zero. It's actually a prologue that takes place fifteen years before the start of the con- the new drama. The new drama is actually about the generation of people who survives these events of the world's undoing. So here it is. Uh, this may be quite loud, so be careful about your earbuds or speakers. The cleansed In the year twenty thirty, the has hit the fan. Whoa, 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 whoa! Hey, hey, Bobby, Bobby, what's going on? Bobby. Bobby. The world's nations fight each other for oil. Food is scarce. The electric grid goes dark. And in Bangor, Maine, an angry militia overthrows the government.
2: Oh, chill out, dude! Get down! Oh, oh, oh. Okay, okay,
1: you got it!
0: A group of soldiers and civilians must band together to survive this man made apocalypse. But not only do they have to fight, they must learn to trust each other.
1: Slow down!
5: Look, slow down! Stick with us! Luke!
0: Chris, you protect the goof. I'm going in. Listen to the pilot episode of The Cleanse, epic post-oil audio adventure by award-winning Final Room Productions.
6: Hey, we're supposed to stick together here, Kurt. What the hell's wrong with you? I want a little drama for all of our radio listeners. I want the whole world to know.
0: Download it for free at www.thecleansed.com. That's www.thecleansed.com. All right. Season one is coming up next week. We will have a launch party here in Maine on March 9th in Biddeford, Maine. Uh, if you can't be here, you'll we will be welcoming you to Radio Drama Revival podcast for that launch. And uh, really can't wait. This is just a phenomenal project. You will be hearing roughly 50 podcast episodes of this uh, interspersed at the beginning of Radio Drama Revival episodes. It will also be... Uh, An uncut version of 30 minutes in length. Uh, If you don't want to hear it five minutes at a time, you'll be able to pay $1.99 and get a full uncut 30-minute episode. So we'll see what you think. All coming up next week. Last but not least, before we get on to our chat with Derek Maggs, we have Captain Radio. Captain Radio has a review of a site of audio reviews. All right, Captain Radio, take it from here.
3: Greetings, Audionauts. Captive Radio here, introducing you today to Lawrence Raw's great audio theater site, Radio Drama Reviews, made possible by Road Microphones. Passionate, unique audio transforms our world. You start with Road. Visit roadmic.com, that's R O D E M I C dot com. In this show I highlight the competition, though happily in the audio theater community, few of us consider others literally competition. A while back, we did an anthological review of where to find information about audio theater on the internet. At that time, I did not know of Lawrence Ra's excellent radio drama reviews, but learned of it when Professor Ra of Kent University in Ankara, Turkey, came forward online to introduce himself and to encourage me to visit his audio theater review blog site. I'm both glad he did and very impressed with his content-rich and well-organized site. Professor Raw is a member of Kent's English department and already a prodigious academic author. However, when not helping provide a liberal arts education to health sciences students or touring and lecturing as far afield as recently the United States, Lawrence scours the web for audio drama producers, playwrights, dramatists, and programs to explore, size up, and recap. Unlike the Captain's Weekly Audio Review podcast, Lawrence's reviews appear as separate blog pages and can pop up whenever he jolly well feels like it, making his review collection at one Once more massive and more timely. If seeking a review of a specific program name or title or that of a specific author or dramatist, visitors will find the Spartan Radio Drama Review's interface helpful in locating desired material. Otherwise, unfortunately, the site currently lacks a simple general search form to assist. However, as if to make up for this, the site does A to Z section browsing of play titles as well as names of authors and dramatists, the latter of which Professor Lawrence distinguishes as those who have either adapted, abridged, or dramatized. Text for the radio. The site also features a very extensive review archive section, made accessible toward the bottom of the home page. There, site surfers find, as well, a link to Professor Raw's Twitter feed, where they can catch announcements of fresh reviews and follow through Professor Raw's colorful descriptions and reactions. His enviable junkets about the world. Keep listening to Captain Radio's reviews, of course. But be sure also to drop by regularly at RadioDramaReviews.com, where you can find an even larger selection of modern audio theater reviews. CaptainRadio.com reviews originate on the Radio Drama Revival podcast. Subscribe to free weekly downloads of more top-notch, independently produced modern audio drama from around the world at RadioDramaRevival.com. Until next time, audio nuts. this is Captain Radio, signing off.
0: All right. Thank you, Captain Radio, CaptainRadio.com. And of course, if you want your show submitted for consideration on this podcast, hit up our submit link at the newly redesigned radiodramarevival.com. And of course, Lawrence Raw does have that website. Um, you can might drop him an email as well. He's floating around the Audio Drama Lovers group on Facebook. Um, you can track him down that way. Um and of course if you're not part of that group I'd suggest you join it um yeah I think the links on that somewhere at the Radio Drama Revival site and of course audiodrama.talk.com is the living room for this lovely audio experience. Um yeah so okay let's let's get on to our talk with Dirk Maggs um uh, before it I am going to lead with a piece I am going to lead with a uh a kind of an extended scene here from his uh Sexton Blake audio adventures this is just uh uproarious crazy mystery stream of consciousness madness in detective form i think you'll really like it um this is actually the first episode is a two-hour cd so I don't feel anyone's get to get too upset with me um these these this 20 minute scene leads the leads the program and there's another two hours after this
6: in a time of thrilling adventure in an era of fiendish peril two names spell action in their breakneck hurdle to justice Sexton Blake, adventuring detective and his plucky assistant, Tinker.
2: Uh, Curse
6: you, Mr. Blake! Take that, you top-hatted villain! (coughs) Blimey! Straight down his own crime chimney gap! Will these steeplejacks of evil never learn? Thrill now to The Adventures of Sexton Blake. Blake and Tinker are returning home after thwarting Mechanical Dan, the anthracite-fueled assassin of Old Wigan Town, only to discover that murder too has a first-class ticket.
7: Blimey! it's a bit sinister, Ant tonight. Mr. Tinker, I really must protest. How long is this mysterious friend of yours going to keep us waiting? Keep your miter running, Bish. The governor'll get you when he's investigated good and proper. Tough. I said keep your mitre running, because you're an archbishop. And you drive that cab on the side for stabsio throat down Lambeth way. Good one, that. But I've already explained it as a harmless hobby. Like digging. Now what's to me, Bish? I just mop up the facts. It's the gov who rings out the truth. An assistant? Ha! <laughs> what use are you to us aboard this luxury train of death?
8: Who'd have guessed that a group of strangers brought together by engraved invitations on the first round Britain non-stop express would be plunged into such a diabolical plot of creepy mystery?
7: You said it, miss. Good job that the Gov me got on board by mistake when we missed our connection leaping off that bridge. This bloke who sent your invite... The Baron? He still hasn't shown up and we've had four or five murders.
8: Just the... four, surely?
7: Pays never to take anything for granted in the detective game, miss. We'll get all the answers when the Gov arrives. Take a tip from the alderman over there, and loaf. He's not loafing. He's paralyzed with fear.
5: Look! Ah! No, oh, it's true, it's true! It's the suspense, Mr. Tinker. I can't stand the suspense! Ah! More suspense! Tough.
7: Well, at least it proves conclusively I couldn't have smothered the doctor in his upper bunk. I'm too nervous for ladders. There, there, sit down. It's the dining car. Have a kipper. There you go. Look here, Mr. Tinker. How can this governor of yours possibly get to the bottom of this dreadful business? We've seen nothing of him since the trip began. (laughs) Ha! When the gov's on the case, you might not see him at all. Because he might not want to be seen. Remember that old fisherman with a squint in the packet of Gary The poacher who said he'd been out all night but had nothing in his knapsack? The travelling flautist? Well... They probably wouldn't have noticed him either. Huh. Nice cup of tea. That's the ticket. Sugar?
8: Oh, none for me, thank you. I'm fatally allergic to cubes.
7: No, I was calling you sugar. <laughs> oh, so jilted, widowed heiresses can smile, then. Oh, I... Once we've wound this up, are you doing anything Friday night? I know this smashing little supper club. Bit of dancing, moonlight stroll in the park. Maybe later we could uh, thwart a burglar.
8: Mr Tinker... It was only minutes ago you were nearly sabred in your bed by that diabolical contraption.
7: You are a cool hand. Of Course. That's only if you turn out not to be the murderer.
8: I've already explained that redrafted Will was an internal misunderstanding.
7: <laughs> I've had just about enough of this. You're not gonna make the Governor finish his investigation any quicker by pacing around. Perhaps he's had an accident. Oh,
5: still around, are you, Professor Q? A terrible accident on those treacherous footprints. A terrible accident on those treacherous footplates with the loose railing as we passed that crag. That awful, rupturing crag of deep, dark doom. Are there any lemon dainties? I thought you'd nod it off like our whiskery lieutenant over there. Oh, I never sleep, Mister Tinker. I have so much to do. One might say too much, but I say so
6: much. No, oh, this is intolerable. I'm an extremely busy
7: and thoroughly genuine Archbishop. I'm stopping the train and leaving. You stay where you
6: are, Bish. If the rest of you have any sense, you'll do likewise. Where's my hat? You'll not need your hat, Archbishop. This weather is false. Governor. Digger, stout lad. Catch this valise. And prepare for action. Drop that sugar bowl, miss. It was obviously poisoned this morning. <laughs> Professor Q, your Royal Society lecture was encouragingly adequate. This monograph of mine should help. Lieutenant, King's Pawn to King's Pawn 4 with checkmate in 3. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Sexton Blake, and I have solved the case. The murderer is someone in this room. <laughs> The murderer is someone in this room. And why is there a cellar on the train? This is the first-class dining car. Where else would they keep the wine? I see. I'll make a note of that, Tinker.
5: Mr. Blake, you must be tired after your long, rambling investigation. Could I interest you in a smoking hot glass of vigorous pop?
6: No, thank you, Professor Q. I quench my parch... ...with truth. Bloody!
5: It's bigger the carpet clean off. Then perhaps a swift, refreshing shave across the throat. By chance I find a razor in my fist.
6: Thank you, no. Perhaps later. Time is of the essence. I'm waiting for a check to clear. Tinker, my valise. Catch! Ah. The key to this mystery is, of course, the express train itself. So I've whittled this scale model. As we can see, here, here, and here, the murderer could only have come in here and here.
8: Explaining, explaining.
6: Exactly. Explaining why the cook could not account for the wet footprints on the salver, footprints which, by this plaster cast, we can see exactly match the plaster cast found in the archbishop's ottoman. A uh, uh, harmless hobby. Quite so. But which led me into the venomous knives, the poison gas in these ping pong balls. And the encoded message in the burning guards van, which Tinker retrieved despite peril.
8: Why, Mr. Tinker?
6: Oh, it was just peril. This drew me inexorably to the redrafted will. The missing antique telescope was, of course, a red herring. Ah! And, in turn, the clue of the next murder. That of the lieutenant sitting over there. Ah! Which I should probably have mentioned earlier. Cool. Draper doily over the lieutenant, Tinker, and help our vibrating alderman to another chair. Or, more accurately, The second, Alderman, for there was, of course, a substitution in the tunnel.
8: Ah, But, Mr. Blake, I still don't understand.
6: It's quite simple. The entire affair was designed with one end, to eliminate all obstacles between you and your true inheritance, leaving the murderer free to woo, wed, and weigh you down in the municipal baths with this...
2: (coughs) Anchor! (gasps)
6: But who? Think, man. Weather, venom, celluloid, nerve gas, writing things on paper. Chemicals, Exactly, Tinker. Chemicals. Such as one might find in chemistry. Mastered, for example, by someone teaching chemists in a university where chemicals are examined by students of chemistry. <laughs> come, come, Mr. blick A bluff by the murderer. It's too... Obvious? No. Professor Q, your area of expertise may be toxicology and chemicals, but unriddling crime is my business. The bluff is exactly obvious enough. So who? Ladies and gentlemen, the murderer is... None other than... You damned interfering jackony! Professor Q! Just as I suspected. Oh,
5: your lobes are pesky, Mr. Blake. I shall enjoy creasing them with a chemical bullet or two. As we see, it is in fact I who have you over a barrel. My... Your gun barrel? Gun bed, ba- Your blast! So, yes, I have a revolver, and you do not. Tinker
6: and I prefer the fisty honesty of Justice Knuckles. I don't even own a gun.
8: Here, you can borrow mine. Or mine, or either of mine.
6: Thank you all, but I believe Tinker has the situation in hand. I've got him covered with his here ready punch, Guff. Splendid. You were clever, my dear Professor, but not quite clever enough.
5: Not quite clever enough, this, you devil! Look out, Farewell, Mr. Blake!
6: Gov, <laughs> <laughs> are you... did the... were you... how are... I'm perfectly fine, Tinker. I simply avoided the bullets. Phew, that was close. All right, you can all put down the pistols and come out. The Professor has flown. I said, he's gone! Sorry.
8: My second husband owned a few railways. That escape hatch comes out on the roof. They tried it the other way, but people kept getting run over. Excellent.
6: Earlier, disguised as a mustachioed costermonger, I loosened the exterior ladders. Our bird is trapped. His way backwards is blocked by third class, and we're currently passing over Exmouth's notorious teetering bridge across a bottomless gorge, so he won't dare make a jump for it. Who would? Huh. Exmouth. Indeed. So we'll swarm up and nap him at our leisure.
8: And the professor's autogyro lashed to the roof.
6: There's always something you forget, isn't there? Quick, lad, to the locomotive. The chase is on.
8: Right.
7: I'll pick you up on Friday, then, miss. About seven.
8: Make it half past. I have to redraft a few wills.
6: Bring sensible shoes and a cudgel. And nobody is to take the opportunity to murder anyone while they're gone. I've had that sort of thing happen before, and I'll be back later to check.
2: (laughs) Ah! Sorry.
6: A driver! The prof must have boshed him before butting off! Yes. Wait! No! There hasn't been a driver for days! It was me in a brilliant disguise! <sighs> you know, lad, sometimes I can be too clever. Surely not! No, you're right. But let me see... There's devilry afoot here. See? The throttle's flat out and the gauges jimmied! Nothing I poke, prod, twist, hit or shake a rugged fist at makes a difference! The professor means to crash us all and destroy the evidence! Pull, lad! Pull! That brick lever is our only plausible chance of stopping this train! It's no use, Guff! The thing's jammed good and proper! Curse its implacable British iron! Are we to perish by a proud tradition of craftsmanship?
7: We'd avoid the old perishing issue if the line carried on after the next station instead of ending up in a blinking big wall.
6: What's that supposed to be? The Exmouth Quarantine Wall.
5: Mr. Bunny! Mr. Bunny! There's a train! I'm pointing to the warning sign on the wall, Mr. Bunny! I'm pointing with a lively jig!
6: The Exmouth Quarantine Wall. Sensibly designed to keep Exmouth away from people. Tall wall, Exmouth. Ah. An unfortunate piece of construction work, laying it across the track, yes. But centrally planning the railway network is effectively letting communism in through the back door. So, wait, what's that? The prosodo gyro. Mr. Blake. <laughs> Professor Q, back no doubt to taunt us. I've come
5: back to taunt... All the same, you may have thwarted my ploy, Mr. Sexton Meddling Blake, but
6: I'll wreak my revenge. Idle jibes, Professor. I'd keep my mouth shut if I were you. Never! You are mine to mock. My jeering lips will remain
5: forever open. See how I throw back my unsealed head to
6: raw with... Quick, lad, while he's distracted by swallowing that fly. Over to the footplate and... <laughs> nice try, Mr. Pick. but I've read your monograph on leaping.
5: No, you stay there on my locomotive of fiery riddance. I'd enjoy watching him die, but... You have to fly, I expect.
6: I have to Don't fl- oh, blast. No, never mind. <laughs> 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 Thanks, Tony. Yes. Wait, No. We'll escape yet to lay hands on his criminal collar next time. But how? Chemicals, lad. Professor Q has sabotaged the brakes with a chemical well. We merely have to reverse the process by distilling a vigorous solvent from everyday locomotive bric-a-brac. You've done it again, Gus. In the few seconds available before we collide burstingly against that vast expanse of bricks up ahead there. and just in the nick of time.
2: <laughs> North and
5: train persons! Read the warning sign! Shoot, Turn your train around! Mr. Bunny, they're not going away. Oh, 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 I need a pamphlet, Mr. Bunny. Oh, I invoke the pamphlet. Come to Sunny Exmouth, where the <laughs> stay away from Sunny Exmouth, where the oh, they're not stopping.
6: I need a handful of hot coals. I'll oh, punch out in a firebox now. <laughs> yeah full of hot coals. Hold them steady. Now, I unscrew this tiny tub of simple household liniment. And some of that. Two of these. This is twice as hard for me if you don't keep still. Sorry.
5: <laughs> Farewell indeed, Mr. Blake. At last, I see your end is nigh. No, 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 that's not twisting in my seat. I can now see your end is nigh, Mr. Blake. <laughs> Mr. Bunny, there's a flying bloke too. Read the warning
2: sign. the...
5: The differential. It's warning sign, Mr. Bunny. He's stuck
6: in an O! The bros of off the brick scuff, and this express is next unless. Solvents not quite distilled there, but. Steady! Uh... Can't afford to be distracted! Uh... Must concentrate on. You know, we completely forgot about the Baron. Read the word, it's
2: stuck!
9: And was you all killed in a chattering detonation of flame
6: and pipes, Mr B? Indeed not, Mrs Bardell. The train was halted a clear four inches before striking the stony rampart. Well, I never. Tea? Capital. The potentially dangerous firebox, overloaded as it was with roaring fuel, hurtled safely free and crashed into a nearby building society, chancing to foil a robbery.
9: Oh, that's why I keep my money in a teapot. Oh, (laughs) not this one. This
6: one. Detective Inspector Coots and the police were close behind to wrap things up with the passengers, who were shaken but unhurt, with the exception of four or five who had earlier been murdered. Then we rappelled down the gorge and fist-fought our way through Exmouth before escaping by concealed dinghy. All in all, pretty much of a Tuesday, really. Well, I never twice. Bun. Splendid. Sticky bun. Naturally. Unfortunately, Professor Q was fished out of his O with a stick and managed to evade the police using a disguise made from singeing and abrasions. But, hmm, given the usual terms, payment per second of peril, plus expenses, etc., and the various rewards, and the handsome purse from Pelican, Patterson's Scrapyard and Garage for the wreck of the locomotive, yes, a most fascinating and rewarding little journey home. Oh, Mr. B, say what you like, but I
9: sometimes think that you do all this not for the money, but because facing death allows you to mask some secret inner pain.
6: No, it's the money. And thus concludes the case of the mysterious murders aboard the train we got on by mistake, and it turned out one of the passengers did it with chemicals. There, the particulars set down for posterity and tax purposes. Hm. I'll file it under F for finish.
9: You said that that there Professor Kay had it away on his toes.
6: Hmm. I'll file it under C, for criminals at large. Well, I'll just leave it there for now. You can tidy up later, Mrs. Bardell.
9: Morning, all. Good morning, youngster. Good morning, Mr T. I've set your breakfast already. There's kipper's chicken, a light salad, a few pheasants, the roast, a keg of porridge, these buns, those buns, the other pheasants, toast, pancakes, stew, soup, and two hard-boiled eggs. Oh, I don't know, Mrs Bardell. I've had a big supper. I'll take away one of the eggs, then. Oh, smashing. Oh, it's good to see everybody back safe and sound, Mr B. You don't know what it's like. Waiting here, twilight to dawn with only a penny to crumple. Wondering if you and Master T is going to make it home in one piece. And that carpet needs a shampoo. Don't worry.
7: We'll never get killed as long as there's your cooking to come home to.
9: Oh, fool, Master T, you and your teeth. (laughs) Now, who can that be at this time of day? More
6: intrigue, I shouldn't wonder.
9: It'll be a mop through the letterbox if they try anything I'm
2: saying that
6: now. Have you read the news, Gav? No, I've been editing this monograph on punching. They're hanging Jerusalem. Arg, oh, the bellowing strangler. Again? Yep. Positive waste of time. The man has absolutely no neck. Still, if it keeps him occupied. Speaking of which, unless I miss my guess, that doorbell presages a client. A woman, I'd say. Cool. How would you know that? Your basic fifty-fifty chance, Tinker.
9: And I'm thrashing around in a sticky toffee pudding for afters. There's a lass in a bonnet to see you, Mr. B. Says she's already
8: eaten. A Miss... Beauchamp. Elizabeth Mary Louise Tarabelle Beauchamp. B.
6: Miss Beauchamp. Welcome to my Baker Street consulting room. Please, sit down. (sighs) Up you get, lad, up you get. No lollygagging when there's a guest.
8: Why, thank you, sir. I... No?
6: Relax a moment. Let me save you some time by detailing what I already know.
8: No? What can you know? I have presented for barely seconds.
6: <laughs> the Governor's no ordinary bloke, miss. Tinker is correct. Let me see. Well, your entertainingly corrupted vowels reveal that you are a foreigner.
8: I am American.
6: Or some such thing, yes. <clears throat> Tea, miss? Yes. Your clothing is fashionable, but not of a catalogue. The soles of your boots are only lightly worn. You're therefore someone of at least moderate wealth, more accustomed to carriages than cobbles. However, what minor scuffing of the boots there is describes a pattern of slight over-pronation or of a heavy deliberation of step, at least. So we may conclude that there is a consciousness behind each footfall. You hit invisible marks. An actress, then, or someone practiced in the ancient Cambodian martial art of... (laughs) Amazing. Finally, you are holding a revolver, which in my experience means only one of two things. Are you here to wreak revenge for my thwarting a ploy? Land's sakes, no. Then you feel yourself to be in danger.
8: Mr. Blake, you are a marvel. I see I have chosen wisely. Of course, you're quite correct in your observations. Yes, I am from time to time an actress.
6: But that is not the problem that has brought you to us.
8: No, it's not my immortal soul for which I fear at the moment, but my physical safety. I find myself trapped in a perplexing mystery involving the seemingly worthless family heirloom of a simple gold ring, a pursuit across continents, and the inescapable proximity of the fiendish Orlando Beauregard Valentine, an assailant of such concussing ingenuity that I fear he may be supernatural. Or perhaps three or four men posing as the same figure with cunning disguises and an undisclosed agenda
6: there you see tinker the day improves
8: it all began when
6: crikey a bomb everybody out it's no use the fuse burning at the speed it is doesn't give us enough time to do anything except possibly yes except possibly yes no it's too late now looks <laughs> to be
10: continued
0: <laughs> and that was the first part of sexton blake craziness, huh? I, I, I just uh, love it, and that really shows off what Dirk Magg's audio drama production style is like. Uh, you know, loves these scripts with wordplay, loves these uh, larger than life uh, sound environments, and of course you've got Simon Jones, who's just the master, and he's so damn funny and as i mentioned that really is just the beginning um there's another two hours of that uh, in the full production which you can get on audible or on amazon.com um i'll encourage you to check out audible actually uh we've got a special offer we can offer you as being a radio drama revival listener we now offer a free 30-day trial AudibleTrial.com forward slash RadioDrama gets you for that. If you don't have an Audible subscription already, I highly recommend it. Um, Audible does in, in, in sort of pay me to say that um, if you subscribe to AudibleTrial.com forward slash RadioDrama. It does earn some commission for this show, but I do truly, truly believe in Audible. It's one of the best things uh, I pay for each month. In my audio life, um, just looking at some of the titles here, I got the new Stephen King novel, Love in 2263. They've got The Stand. It was just released as an audiobook. You can pick up through Audible, um, The Storm of Swords, the whole George R.R. R. Martin series is up there as audiobooks, as well as a vast, vast amount of audio drama programming. The late, great Yuri Rosovsky has a, a huge uh catalog through there the grammy nominated mark of zorro the maltese falcon uh saint joan and his earlier works are there it's the first time i heard his odyssey uh we're alive of course re-released in a remastered version for blackstone audiobooks that whole first season is up on audible and of course dirk mag's work like the sexton blank sample you just heard the entire series of hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy including uh remastered bbc versions of the first two radio series so you can get uh, all books one through five as well as other great BBC material on there including the Lord of the Rings saga so a lot uh, to listen to if you are into audio drama or adventure or anything audio at audible.com and you can uh, get a free 30-day trial a free book if you uh, sign up at audibletrial.com forward slash radio you get a free title a free subscription to New York Times or Wall Street Journal for a month and then for $15 a month, you can continue to uh, renew that subscription. And I recommend it, but it, I'll leave your listening ears up to you. And let's get on now to Dirk Maggs, uh, the amazing, the inevitable Dirk Mags. All right, welcome to Radio Drum Revival. We have the explicit pleasure of welcoming Dirk Mags to the show. Of course, Dirk Mags is the uh, rather celebrated audio movies creator um, over there in England, has done a uh, number of series, uh, probably most... Well known, at least in the states, for his uh, the, the second generation of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy shows, but he's done tons of other stuff, um, a lot of superhero stuff, Superman, Batman, uh, Judge Dredd, Spider Man, uh, comedy, uh, many other things in, in between, and uh, don't need thank you too much more introduction. Dirk Mags, welcome to the show.
4: Thank you very much, Fred. Nice to be here.
0: Uh, can you talk about your interest in, in radio drama? How you ended up uh, doing this versus a career in, in TV, film, or, or something else?
4: Yeah, I joined the BBC in 1978 as a trainee studio manager, which is like a balance engineer in radio. And at that time, I told everybody on the course that within three months, I would be in television and I would shake the dust of radio from my feet. And three months later, well, it's not quite accurate, about nine months later, I was in television. And I spent about 18 months in television. And I realized I just wasn't enjoying it in the least. I thought it was a really tedious medium involving far too many people in the creative process for it to be genuinely creative and uh, where budget constraints were always making what you saw on the screen nothing like what the writer or you as producer had imagined uh, when you read or wrote the piece. So um, going back to radio wasn't um, a hard thing to do at all. It was actually like coming home. And um, then I had to a period of working my way into production in radio and eventually uh, went into Radio Light Entertainment, which is the BBC's comedy department, really. But it did a certain amount of uh, drama, what they call light drama, um, like no murders, I don't know, Uh, (laughs) light drama, but uh and um and the opportunity came up to uh to sell something a little bit different to uh the speech networks and at that time no one was doing uh, anything to do with comic books which were one of my favorite things ever as a kid uh although I'm very much a sort of gold and silver age person I, I i wasn't actually that into comic books in the 80s although i quickly found out about the regeneration of superman and batman and all the stuff that was coming out of dark horse and so on so i kind of pretty quickly became aware of them again uh, but at that time i just suggested because it was superman's birthday in 1988 and batman's in 1990 that, that we could do some sort of docudrama based on the comics and uh, and we did and and suddenly i was making uh, you know it was superman on the radio for the first time in since the 40s, uh, well, certainly for us in America, uh, for us in the UK. Um, and um, and I suddenly realised how much fun you can have in a radio studio. And, mm-hmm. and to paraphrase Orson Welles about the best toy a boy can have, well, for me it was a radio studio. He, uh, given that there's no way I was ever going to be in charge of a Hollywood budget, um, the only way to make the pictures come alive to the the uh, extent that I needed them to come alive and to be real and to grip and to be colorful and dynamic was to, uh, was to make uh, those pictures in sound. Um, and then it became a task of working out how to, uh, layer up the sound so that really you didn't need an image. You, you, you didn't need a, a, a cinema image to, to have a sort of cinematic effect. So I, I spent quite a lot of the early, um, late eighties, early nineties, um, going to the movies with my eyes shut in a weird sort of way. I used to have popcorn lunches, I called them, where I left BBC Broadcasting House in London and ran down to Piccadilly Circus or Leicester Square to the cinema. And I watched everything that was out there from Terminator 2, which obviously was, you know, fantastic, to uh, Thelma, Louis, stuff like this. I was really listening to the sound designers, people like Randy Tom and um, Ben Burt, His Majesty, the Lucasfilm guy the thing that i was thinking hang on a minute look you know this is uh there's a whole world of stuff and i'd go back and say to the bbc guys who were like friends of mine because we all trained together how can we make this sound like a movie and we go to the bbc desks and uh the <laughs> um bbc uh, engineering department never wanted you uh, the studio managers weren't quite technical uh, weren't quite engineers there was a kind of a there was a little bit of division between the two departments. The engineers prided themselves on being so much more kind of, you know, uh, techie than us. We were a little bit parvenu. We were a bit dilettante. So they wouldn't allow us to play with stuff too much. So if there was EQ on a the desk, they'd kind of actually got at it so that you didn't have that much top. That You couldn't add too much bottom, too much top. It was a pretty kind of funny thing. So when I was saying, how can we you know i'm trying to find ways to make subwoofers happen and of course there wasn't such a thing in those days so we were huh. really uh, trying to cheat the gear into giving us uh, responses we didn't have um and of course the other thing that quickly became apparent was that we didn't have surround and at that time dolby pro logic was sort of the was the default um, surround thing and i had a lot of uh, a lot of adventures um trying to make surround happen which i can you know come on to but uh, yeah <laughs> The point. The point is that at the end of the day, isn't isn't it amazing that the, this is the most visual medium? Actually, doesn't arrive at your nerve, uh, your central cortex via the optic nerve. It comes in via the auditory nerves. It comes in through your ears. It sneaks in through the side door and projects an image on your your mental screen. That's if it's done well, is just completely gripping. Um, yeah. And I, that really is it. And once you're seduced. By that, you're you're hooked, and of course you're going to spend the rest of your life completely um, impoverished because there's no money in it, uh, <laughs> and um, and uh, and nobody uh, and, and 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 you know and very uh, and relatively few people have, have heard of what we do, but yeah. those of us who, who you know those of us who get hooked, we know exactly what it is, which is that it's just one of the best storytelling mediums there is.
0: Yeah, no, so, I, <clears throat> so you kind of uh, beat me to the punch on a different question, which was to say, you know, how much was the, that early stuff you started doing in the 80s uh, alike or different from, from what the BBC was, was putting out? And it sounds like you really were kind of pushing the boundaries in terms of what, uh, I guess, you know, what the BBC sound was or what was expected out of a radio drama on the BBC.
4: The studio managers and technicians at the BBC are, are really excellent people and very good at what they do. Their problem is, and this was very much a case at the time, they're tied into those big old drama studios mm. that you know we don't get to use a lot in audio once you're outside. Of an organisation, see, and I, I don't guess you get to see an awful lot of them in the states. Um, but my first dra- the dra- my first experience of a BBC drama studio was walking into a room around the size of a, a, a you know, of a ground floor of a department store, mm-hmm. a medium sized, you know, high street department store, main street department store, with the uh, the kitchen area with the practical sink where the taps ran with a with a dead area which had an anechoic coil so that you went deep you went in the more dead you got um in a live area hard floor hard and then a, a stairs with carpet wood concrete you know choice of tread all the way up um which is great because but it's kind of like um it's like the old hollywood sound stages because it's all kind of built in I mean, obviously a soundstage is a Charlie stuff in, but, but in a way it's, it's all prepared for you and you're working to such a short schedule. You know, we have to get BBC pretty much means you've got to get 30 minutes runtime recorded in a day. That's, that's your, you know, that's, that's the parameters under which you budgeted. Um, That means you've got to get an awful lot done in a short length of time, which means that you have to shortcut. And if there's a kitchen scene, you do it in the kitchen area, which means that all the kitchen scenes in all the plays going out on BBC radio drama sound like the same kitchen. Mm. And this was the problem for me. I I, I wanted to ring the changes. I wanted to. Well, first of all, I wanted the thing to sound like a movie because, you know, you can just hear how fantastic how fantastically clever the technology is. Uh, the audio guys in movies do, you know, uh, you know they are leading the way, really. Um, and I was thinking, well, why we're in professional audio. We should be able to make the same thing sound as kind of zippy and connected as that, and voices. And it's not, I'm not talking about throwing every plug-in in the world at something. Um, I hear so much stuff nowadays where somebody's just spent the price of a small automobile on you know some suite of plugins and then they have to use them and you think no 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 that's not the point that's not the point use them when you need to but there is a kind of happy medium where where you use the technology to to augment what you're doing to make the listening experience more uh user-friendly to to help tell the story it's like playing i play drums in bands that's my that's my other passion and and you know the trick is that you don't try and play a solo through every song you play for the song <laughs> yeah. and in the same way if you make a play you you, you know you, you when you're making an audio play what you're trying to do is tell the story once you start getting in the way of that whatever you're doing you you that's that's the wrong thing to do so um going back to the the bbc studios after a bit if you if you love uh radio drama or or radio comedy or whatever it is but you're always hearing the same kitchen the same living room the same exterior acoustic which has a slightly interior kind of ring to it you begin to think hang on a minute hang on a minute there must be a way to make this sound more real and of course um that's 20 years ago. And now, uh, you know, we talk about going and recording on location because we have the te- technology to do it. Um, but it was a gradual transition. And it was a little bit like trying to, you know, we ha- there's the analogy of trying to turn a big oil tanker ship around mm-hmm. in the English Channel. It's a kind of 10 mile tur- turning circle. And I think the BBC started a sort of 10 year turning circle around about 1992. And I'm, I'm not quite sure it's quite made to yeah. 180 yet.
0: Let me ask you this, Derek. So, I mean, about this, that same time that you were first doing these productions, uh, it actually sort of corresponded pretty closely to the first run of, of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So I guess... Uh, uh, you know, we're we're going to get to the Hitchhikers in a moment here, but, uh, you know, a- as it was first airing, uh, was that influencing you? You know, and I also know that that, uh, you know, Douglas Adams heard your stuff. So how, is there some cross pollination there that's interesting?
4: It's funny. Uh, hitchhikers, uh, the first series went out when I when I went to tea, uh, w- when I came in the BBC, everybody was talking about it. We were in. We came in. I had joined July 78 and it had just uh, the first series had just aired in March and. Everybody was talking about this show to the point, actually, where I, I kind of like thought I don't want to know about that. It's so <laughs> it's so cultish and in, you know. I like, I, I, I it's a bit grouch show, you know. I don't want to be part of a club that would have me as it as its member. Yeah. Um, so not, I'm not, but not because I thought I was partic- anything special, I hasten to add it simply because it's that thing where something's so popular, you get suspicious of it. So it took me a while to hear it. And in fact, it wasn't until I was on night shifts in the newsroom at the BBC World Service, which was part of our training program. And, in, you know, two in the morning, not a lot of a news, not, not, a, not a lot of news is on. So and all these tapes in the corner. And after you got through all the obligatory kind of uh, blooper reels which were been collected, then you start looking at other stuff, and Hitchhiker's the first series had already been recorded and put there by other people on night shifts, so I started hearing it, and, of course, I'm now I see what everybody's on about. It's like, holy smoke, this is good. Um, and, of course, it was the one series at that time that didn't sound like a radio drama or a radio comedy. It didn't sound like anything um, because, of course, as I found out later on, uh, after the pilot, uh, Jeffrey Perkins, my predecessor as producer on the show, and Douglas were, were, were exploring every avenue to use the technology to the fullest um the story of the first series of course is that they they'd never even made a comedy a comedy program in stereo before and when Jer- and when uh, simon brett the first producer and douglas put the pilot in with the head of department and sat down the corridor biting their nails waiting for the half hour to be over this guy who finished it went to see him and the first thing the guy said was um why are there such long pauses between the lines <laughs> <laughs> And they realised he only had one speaker, speaker plug. <laughs> yeah. So like, oh my. Wild. So this this was the kind of this was the level that they were pushing at. And Douglas told me that I think the second or third uh, program in the series they actually recorded it on twenty four track, um, which uh, they thought was a fantastic idea until they needed to edit it, and then realised that they were trying to they would have to edit two inch tape. And there they were sending off the uh, the voice edits to the the BBC's Radiophonic Workshop, which of course was you know the BBC's avant-garde little bit where composers and sound designers kind of worked in this strange, strange area, area um, doing, um, doing stuff for Doctor Who what have you. Um, um, this, was all um, this was all cutting edge, cutting stuff, at edge the time. stuff at the time, and uh, and that was this is all it all came out. You can hear it in the original versions. You can hear what these guys are doing. So um, that was the eye opener, and then. Um, but interestingly enough, I kind of I forgot about it by the time it was 10 years later, really, uh, when I finally got to a point where I could start making programs the way that I I wanted to try making them. Um, and the thing was, then it was movies that were really uh, because, you know, it, digital sound, Dolby Digital was kind of on the way in. But, you know, we'd had that 10 year revolution that really did start with Star Wars. You know, we, you, you've got to hand it to um, lucas film and everything you know with this whole dolby pro logic and so on the digital recording all of this stuff it had been around for 10 years you know you're hearing all these results in the in the in the in the cinema you, and you get back and you think how can we get that clarity how can we get that impact how can we make that thing grab you viscerally and drag you into a good story um and uh so that was when we did the superhero stuff which then douglas heard. And because Jeffrey by then had gone on its TV and Douglas had just finished the last of the Hitchhiker books and and suddenly had some sort of nostalgic idea that it would be really nice to hear them turn back into radio uh, because it had grown out of radio. um, This sort of strange full circle thing happened.
2: Yeah.
0: So uh, I won't ask you to get too much into that because you've done a really nice job. There's both in previous interviews and on a a little diary for the BBC about kind of how that Production happened. How it sort of came, started, stopped. Yeah. Um. But but let's talk about this. So by the time you you did the the new production, you had actually left the BBC. You're in your own independent studio, but you were called back in. Is there something to be said about that? About uh, your move from the BBC to to produce your independent productions, but but still working with them in, in this sort of way?
4: I mean, my move from the BBC really was. On the grounds of it, it was really paperwork I, I was tired of having to actually you know start writing long lists and the, and the, at that time the mood in the bbc uh, the, the, the the director general at that time was encouraging us to leave this was the irony we were being told to leave go out make programs and sell them back into us and uh it'll be cheaper for us to make them so hmm. i kind of took that offer up um ironically about three years later when another director general came in they suddenly reversed that policy and pulled all the ladders up and then those of us who'd left were banging on the walls yeah. saying oh hang on a minute didn't you want some program for us? <laughs> so uh, there was a bit of an issue but but the thing was uh, so it wasn't really it was more a practical decision um uh uh, uh which was uh, uh, followed shortly afterwards by the realization i could never go back because of course the freedom of being out there and being able to go and Learn from uh, from program makers around the world, particularly in the United States, because although even then, although um, uh, radio drama as a sort of broadcast thing wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't very audible. My God, you know, there's an awful lot of people. Um, you know, uh, you, uh, God bless him, uh, Yuri Rozovsky and the fire, fire Sign Theatre people and all this stuff. You know, there's there's a lot of work going on and, and audio things going on and of course with the technology as well uh, coming out of um, uh, the west coast and the digital revolution which i'd sort of cottoned onto by then and realized i think the thing was you know i love the bbc it, it really is a fantastic place and the, the, there is a culture of excellence there which i will always be grateful to uh, it's it's basically made me a real pain in the ass to work with um in terms of quality control uh, many times um but there is also you know it is a corporate mentality and there is a there, there is a sort of a you know a need to forever you know sort of refer back to to you know one's modus operandi rather than trusting the process and saying right let's be creative here um so yeah i needed that freedom
0: yeah, and so how did that affect uh, when you're doing the, the the Hitchhiker's Guide, the new series? How unfettered were you to be able to produce the show you wanted to produce?
4: Uh, yeah, well, that's a whole different series of pressures, really. Yeah. I think in terms of the... I think the biggest problem was the slot. Hmm. They gave us a 6.30 p.m. slot on BBC Radio 4, which is probably the biggest audience they have apart from their morning news programs. And Radio 4 is kind of like NPR on steroids. If I can explain that yeah. to anyone who doesn't know BBC Radio Four, it really is. It's a it's a fine network, a fantastic spoken word network. It's the best of British in many ways. It's also quite quite uh, rigidly bound in its in its approach to things. But the Radio Four had elected six thirty to seven pm as being a kind of drive time comedy slot, and it still is. And Hitchhikers was put into that because it was their big flagship thing. Yeah. And, of course, the original Hitchhikers was on at 10.30 at night and was completely discovered by word of mouth. No one promoted the original Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. This was the big, big irony about it. So now we had to kind of be funny. I couldn't be... And, and, this, and there was a difference between being true to Douglas's vision and being funny for the sake of being funny. Because Douglas's brilliance doesn't depend on laugh-out-loud gags. Yeah. It depends on, on ideas in juxtaposition. Uh, where the arts and the science, art sciences meet, there's a certain amount of satire, there's a certain amount of... Uh, there's an intelligence behind it, which, which which the the laugh out loud, yuck, 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 isn't necessarily a part of. Um, there is a sort of pythonish thing, which is funny. So um, we had to... This was my problem. I was fighting my producer a little bit um, sometimes on where a page where there weren't many gags because the writing was so brilliant i didn't want to mess with it Mm -hmm. and i found myself you know as we went on having to having to sort of pander to this need to make jokes where the original writing was good enough um so that was my that was my big regret that the slot demanded a level of a a level of sort of gaggery that actually wasn't necessary. It's not needed mm-hmm. in hitchhikers. You lose yourself in the in the universe of it. However, it's interesting. We we ought to talk about that because, of course, now we're doing a live show on stage. I now have got a show where I am discovering the audience. Uh, audiences are laughing out at stuff that I thought wasn't a gag.
0: Yeah. So that. Yeah. So let's talk about that. I mean, uh, uh, you know, as much as you know, it's amazing to bask. You know, to to really appreciate. Uh, you know what you did and what you brought to uh, the three, four, and five. Now, uh, see, it's been what maybe about eight years, and now you're going on stage. So, what, what's happened in yeah. that time? What's what's brought what's brought from point A to point B?
4: We all got older. We thought <laughs> we thought we'd better do it before we all dropped dead.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, is, is, has this been one of those ideas that's been running around, been talked about for a while? Then,
4: yeah. No, Simon, and we, we did a scene. There was a scene at the beginning of the of the uh, fifth, fourth or fifth series. We were in the studio, and it was the Vogons. It's actually a scene I put I put in to to liven up for laughs an episode that otherwise was a little quiet. It was the love story. I mm-hmm. think it must have been series four. Um, but it was the, it was the Vogons having a court of inquiry where the the the, the captain of the ship that destroyed of the uh, the squadron that destroyed the Earth. Has to account for the fact that the Earth has suddenly popped back into existence, and the, and the scene involved everybody, including the old cast, pretending to be Vogons, um, and anyone who coughed was shot. <laughs> And so we did the scene, kind of played it live in the studio. And I was standing in the cubicle, you know, in in the gallery area where we were recording it. And I just have to say, we were wetting ourselves with laughter at this because, of course, they were all, you know, being... It was horseplay, and it was just silly, and they were falling over. And these are mature adults being extremely silly. And, of course, at the end of it, we're all helpless with laughter. And Simon came out and said, how was that? And I said, that was actually the funniest thing I'd ever seen. And he said, yes, is isn't a shame we can't invite the audience to be with us here and see it actually being recorded and that was the genesis moment we just said well why don't we do it why don't we put the show on the road and the weird thing was and this is interesting because you know we've we've talked about um, how the original um, show really cut through the boundaries of, of what was possible in the medium. And, and you know, you went to uh, sound design and, you know, pretty much b- invented the first BBC sound design department by default, um, worked on multi-track, uh, fought the technology of the time to make something um, exceptionally brilliant. Well, of course. Uh, it, it was ahead of its time in doing so in those days. The last thing they ever did was actually perform it in front of an audience, which is the most traditional way to do a radio show. Yeah. You know, We've all seen the, the archetype of, of two or three actors at stand-up microphones and a guy off to one side or a, a girl off to one side with a, with a bunch of effects on a table, which is the old, you know, the real old hairy radio cliche. But the weird thing is that, and we've done it now, we've done two dry runs for this, that you actually can now do that hair, hairy old cliché of having the actors to, to microphones, having a lunatic banging things in a corner. And, yeah. and, like that. Um, and, and, and an audience. And because we have the digital technology, we have all this fantastic immediate you know, press play, it plays, you know, shed loads, gigabytes worth of memory of audio there. Um, because we can instantly access... Really superb quality audio we are actually able to put on as good a show as it took them three weeks to make in real time mm. We can do it in real time on stage in front of you And then the other thing was if we're gonna do that because this was the other thing. It's still a radio show I mean there were there, there were two very good reasons for that The first is the obvious one is that the cast although of great physical beauty in real life are not the ages of the characters mm-hmm. They play anymore which happens to us all. Um, And so it would be crazy to actually dress them up and run them around and have them learn the lines and have big cardboard spaceships come down and so on. So performing to Mike in a dressing gown and little, you know, bits of dressing (laughs) stuff. You know, is is a good is is a good uh, compromise. And but if we're then going to do it that way and do it as a radio show, this was the other thing. Um, And and not many people get to see a bunch of pros make a radio show now. That's one of the good things about being in the UK is that of course the BBC do still record quite a lot of audience shows for transmission. So you can see people who really know what they're doing with a with a a script, a microphone, and an audience all dealing with all three at one go. You can still see that. Now, that's not something you, you, you do see a lot these days. Um, and uh, so we can put on that sort of show and show people how the thing is recorded. But but the beauty of it is we then record what we did that night and you can download it as an audience member 24 hours later. Oh, second. wow. So that you can then hear it. As the radio thing. So we've actually, so we're actually, this is the kind of Trojan horse thing. We're not just putting hitchhikers on. We're actually saying to people, isn't radio insanely great? Mm. You see this show, you're part of the show, you're as an audience, you're taking part, you're laughing, you're making funny noises on when you're asked to and so on. But then the next day, you can lose yourself in that, uh, in the world that we've created. And you see it a whole different way.
0: I know it's it's gonna be fa- I, sh- I should mention there's a really uh fantastic photo of Simon Jones floating around here, around out here in his dressing gown um I'm looking at uh, this is it's a UK newspaper I'll make sure I put it up there but uh <laughs> this photo alone makes me was, want to see the show well
4: actually, to be those are so, you know, the sort of cream colored backgrounds yeah yeah know, it's quite yeah. Them, yeah, <laughs> yeah I have to say we, we we we've all decided we don't like those photos because they <laughs> we think they look make everybody look much older and unhealthier than yeah, they really they're, they're are. Yeah, because so
0: they're not they're not having as much fun as he'd like.
4: That, well, yeah. In fact, we had a lot of laughs at the shoot, but it, the photos <laughs> quite right. So, um, so I'm, I'm glad if you think that's cool, that's great. But I, yeah, I, I'm I'm hoping you know we can we can do quite a bit with these tours. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And it's it'll be uh, touring the UK. It uh, looks like June and July of this year
4: that's right we yeah. just we're coming off just in time for the olympics to start we're going to get out of the way of that juggernaut yeah. and uh yeah we'll all uh, we'll all get, uh, retire but but the thing is that uh, you know this will be the first of several tours we mm-hmm. hope and we are very much hoping that we get um, permission to to bring it over to the states because we'd love to we'd love okay. to do that oh absolutely but uh, but first things first Let's check we're not bottled off in Leeds yeah. before we.
0: <laughs> and so just what what scripts? What how much of the show? That sort of thing.
4: It's going to be. It's drawn from all five novels because uh, the novels are the finished version, as, as far as Douglas was was concerned. When yeah. we went back in to do series three, Douglas said to me, "Do not take anything from anywhere but the novel." And so uh, going back to um, what were originally radio series one and two, I've gone to the novel and adapted it back because Mm. Douglas, that was Douglas's final word on it. Well, adapting it back makes it sound just like the original radio series pretty much most of the time. But, you know, that's how he wanted it. Douglas, what would Douglas think is our guiding yeah all through this so if we have any question marks just go back to i have to try and replay it conversations i had 20 years ago with him but that's pretty much it um it is and it's based on all five novels because the other problem i have not problem um because people are free to enjoy what they like and not enjoy what they like but so many people have only heard the first two series and form such an emotional attachment with them one of the hardest jobs of doing the last three series was persuading them that there was stuff in the last three books that was every bit as good as stuff in the first two series mm-hmm. first two books mm-hmm. um and so uh the first half of the show what the show does in essence is is take Arthur on a slightly premature trip around the hitchhike of a universe sending him back to the beginning again to start over when uh Slarty Bart fast realizes that um uh, the, the conditions weren't quite right he's, he's kind of you know he got on the, the he got on the early bus by accident and he's taken back home and told to take the right bus which uh, is a slower journey and therefore the audience will then go away and and read all the other stuff so mm-hmm. it's a kind of highlights of hitchhikers with all the really important bits in um and the first half is pretty much the first two series very much we have to obviously move quickly through it, um, and then the last the second half is the is, is from the last three books, but with a little bit of series two tucked on the end but there 's an opportunity for example then to include um, hopefully, we've got to sort the rights issue out. But Douglas's voice playing this part of Agri-Jag, which is the creature, yeah. which he we used his voice. Uh, and, Doug, and Douglas asked me if he would if he could play uh, in the original um, uh, when we originally talked about it. And uh, uh, horribly, sadly, it was posthumously. But thank God he'd recorded it. Mm-hmm. He'd recorded the audio so I could cut him out as his character. And, and Simon and he act, and I play Douglas's character with an umbrella. It's me fighting Simon Jones on stage with an umbrella. <laughs> which is, you know, what's not to like?
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, and you, you mentioned uh, Douglas's passing. and uh, You know, I must have been uh, in high school at the time and, and had just known the books at the time, though, of course, like many Americans, sort of Hitchhikers is my entry into the, the, the world of, of audio drama. And it, it, it seemed to me, my impression is that he was really into technology, you know, breaking, breaking new ground with audio drama, you know, getting into video games, you know, with a real hands-on way. Early on, uh, you know that, that that sort of thing, and it, it seems to me that the and he would love this uh, theater thing would would seem such an interesting mashup of technology as
4: well as tradition, um, all in one. He was like, a, I mean, Douglas was 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 many things, it's lovely, we're doing this big birthday party thing for him in a couple of weeks, couple of weeks today at the Hammersmith Apollo, we've, we've got all his friends, we're holding a big birthday bash for him, uh, with friends uh, who are coming on, doing sketches, playing music and so on, um, and uh, but the thing about he, he he was so, he had so many levels to him, you, you would go in one day, and he was uh, he was very much the focused writer, we were talking about, you know, um, plot, we were talking about writing styles, we were talking about why something worked why something didn't work i'd go in a week later to talk to him and he'd be like a 10 year old kid because he just bought himself a new cd player that had you know was high bit or whatever it was or he just bought himself a new guitar because i'm a drummer and he's a guitarist we started talking about music and and there was always this kind of he was driven. He had a passion for things. He always, he, he really cared. Um, and it's always interesting to read people who say, who quote Douglas to me when they say, Oh, I, lo- I love the sound. Of, I love the I love deadlines. I love the whooshing sound. They get, go- they make as they go by, um, which is a, which is a great thing to say and very flip and offhand. But of course, the truth is that this is a guy who found writing. He wasn't lazy. You know, people say, Oh, he was so lazy. He had to lock him in a hotel room to write something. But actually this was somebody who, who was such a perfectionist that when, for example, Simon always tells the story about, you know, and Jeffrey's tell the story about, um, ask, uh, say to Douglas, could you just rewrite this? He comes in with 10 pages of script, which is all they've got for the day. And Jeffrey says a couple of things. Douglas says, I can rewrite this and comes back with three pages. <laughs> yeah. The... yeah. He's actually, finessed it out of existence this is this is someone that you know that, that has so many levels and and is a very 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 focused person
0: and and yeah and and so to, to so your job is to you know uh, honor that and to bring it to new audiences and sort of sort of innovate it so you've got a lot on your shoulders there
4: i mean truly when i say to you i i, I genuinely say this i'm not this is not me just using a cliche i am not worthy but the thing is I don't know I don't know who else would do it I, it was interesting when we were doing the the radio series and you know I had a I had you know uh, because it was a, a high prestige job uh, I had to be accountable to a lot of people mm-hmm. and as you can imagine in being accountable to a lot of people I also was under a lot of pressure to include things mm-hmm. that uh, I didn't always approve of and the worst the hardest the hardest part of it was fighting people who wanted to improve what douglas had already written and saying yeah. and say no this is good leave it be and when i started introducing bits in order to make the story work it was with the greatest reluctance and i totally understand it when i read people saying uh, for example oh i really um, I'm not sure I liked that you gave a, you added a happy ending onto the last book. Um, you know, I really understand what they mean. My problem was that I was being asked to provide uh, a, a series of programs which had a story arc, mm-hmm. and there is no story arc in Hitchhikers. There's no story arc. I mean, th- it, 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 there is no story. The, the, it, so you you're always fighting this issue of, well, what do we do here? I've got to do something. So I think my, um, I've forgotten whose motto it is, but you know the, the organization whose motto is, first do no harm. I think there's a medical thing.
0: Doct- uh, yeah, I think it's a doctors, hopefully.
4: Yeah, <laughs> we live in hope. That was kind of my attitude, first do no harm, but then try and make the damn thing hang together as a story, which at the end of the day was really just take the Vogons, just take the Vogons and use them as the baddies. And every other version of chickers has ever been including the film the vogons have been used as the plot device to get the thing to an ending so i don't feel i don't feel guilty about it but i do understand it when people you know are a little bit you know suspicious of it and i i I totally get that i would be too but all i can say is i know i've seen suggestions that would make their hair curl so
0: let's let's talk a little bit about um studio if you've got a few more moments here uh dirk uh we were we were chatting about we were were chatting about roger greg earlier who i consider really one of my mentors he's been so kind answering my questions uh, over the years and he has a fantastic interview which i'll link to um on the podcast to go with this up at his crazy dog site uh he's we've got this photo of what looks like a reference monitor on a stick in the studio with your actors, Uh, (laughs) uh, which I believe, I believe is Marvin. You want to explain what's going on here?
4: Look, Fred, we moved on from that. (laughs) I've got a head on a stick now.
0: Yeah. I'll, I'll have to explain. I've just on Skype seen a picture of what looks like a guy from Motley Crue, perhaps on a stick um, floating around in Dirk's apartment.
4: Zephod's second head, but anyway, yeah. Nice. Okay. Um, No, yeah, we did. Um, Well, this is all part of a... Yeah, good, because we're back talking about sound again, which is good. Um, There was always... The problem with a a mechanical... A non-human character in a drama is that the non-human character may emit sounds or or, or have some sort of vocal quality, uh, which means that you have to remove that actor from the melee around the main mic. Um, and i try and use a stereo main mic so that i can move the the actors around and obviously you know we all know that the microphone is a is not is not a camera it's much cleverer than that the the microphone is a three dimensional sensing device a stereo a stereo microphone or a stereo pair of microphones um and of course you know james cameron's just fig- you know just got into 3d well you know as soon as stereo came in in in, in audio we were making 3d stuff you know, it's nothing new for us, but of course, now the peaches have got it. They make a big deal, yeah. Okay, so, um, so the thing is, of course, but then you want to add this character. So I've got, for example, um, Colin, the security robot, this character in um, uh, in uh, the Last Hitchhiker uh, series, um, and I'm thinking, how can I get the actor's voice to move? To I, I've got to remove the actor from the action, but I want the actor in side the scene with the other actors and I want this to make sense if I'm listening back on headphones or earbuds I want to be able to hear this inside the three-dimensional picture created by the stereo mic so the obvious thing to do is um, to actually fly in a speaker and have this actor uh, actors voice and any effects that are connected with that voice like whirring noises because this thing floats around the room put it all on the speaker and then you can move the speaker through the scene and it became uh, almost, we, we did it for all the robots in the last three series of Hitchhikers, including Marvin, that any sounds that were coming from that character came out of the speaker, and the speaker was completely portable. And that immediately mm. added it as a character. And it meant also that the other actors in the scene could figure out where the character was. And there was one scene where we were being super-duper, a bit too clever by far, really, um, where we had two stereo pairs back-to-back um, and then we were recording multi-channel, so we, uh, with the view to running this on 5.1 on, on um, yeah. Dolby Digital, where um, I actually had the characters and the floating characters move through a 360 degrees with the audience effectively at the center. It was kind of theater in the round, but backwards. The audience were in the <laughs> middle. Just circle them.
0: Yeah, and, and I, I wanted to highlight this because to me it sums up a huge amount about what your production style is. It, you know, we get a lot of people who think that every actor needs to be in their own silo, and that for technical perfection, you need, uh, you know, isolation. You want a really clean sound, but you're not doing that. You're ha- you're having people work in space, and 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 you know, if someone's left and you want them right later, you're you're stuck with that. You've recorded them in stereo. Um, and and, and talk talk about that. Why that's important to you.
4: Well, because I just believe that if you, you don't buy a dog and bark yourself, if you hire an actor who knows what they're doing and, and you hire an ensemble of actors who know what they're doing, it's pretty likely that if you give them a well-written scene and work out some basic blocking, they will give you more in, in a series of live performances than you would probably figure out in uh, as many months later on. Uh, that said, I do understand there are times when it's... I mean, uh, you know, our friends who do a lot of recording in kind of satellite radio stuff where you're, you're flying in performances from all over the place that you, you can't avoid um, working with people individually and trying to get the best result you can and then mm-hmm. mo- working out moves and pans and treatments later on. I, I accept that and I totally understand it. But if I've got a cast which includes Jonathan Price, Simon Jones... Jeff McGiven, so on and so forth, and I'm running a scene, and those guys come up with a move or a bit of business. Uh, it's going to be something I couldn't have thought of. I'm not. A, a, I'm not. Yeah. I haven't got their, their minds. Yeah. And if in the end, it's trust the process. I I do think you can get too um, anally retentive about the technology and and forget the fact that at the end of the day. It's what does the mind can hear something that doesn't sound like quite right it's very hard to fake reality in a in a three dimensional stage, which is what a pair of headphones is particularly um and and it sounds Kind of gets the life sucked out of it. I don't know how to put it, really. I'm not saying there aren't brilliant pieces of work out there, but all the, the stuff I love is, is usually done ensemble by actors who are actually sparking each other's performances by what they're doing. That it adds something to what they're doing. It's a, there's a psychic force in the air. I'm sounding all spooky now. Yeah. But the, 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 there's, yeah. you know there's an energy. There's an energy where people work ensemble that you can't fake. So if it's possible to do it, I try to do it. It's not always possible to do it, but generally speaking, trust your cast. If you've got actors who can act, well, let them go. Let them go. So, so let, let me
0: uh, sort of trench the last last sort of moment here, Dirk. Uh, talking about radio drama in general as an art form, uh, you know, you've been at this for you know closing on thirty years here. What uh, you know, what 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 it still excites you today? What have you seen in technology that's exciting? You know, what do you think of the healthy art forms uh, that that holds? seen things
4: well it's for me it's portable technology the fact that we've now got portable recorders which are virtually limitless recording time and no location is is closed off now uh, and the, the recording quality is so clean and if you know how to use a microphone you know how to move it closer to someone if the surrounding you know, how to set the level so you can work close if the surrounding ambient sound level is high there 's no reason you can 't get out there and actually instead of trying to recreate uh, an acoustic in a studio in a, in a dry room, get out into the into the acoustic and, and use it so it 's becoming this flexible um, as flexible a medium as it can possibly be Um, and you and we can actually go out and use the real world as our background Mm -hmm. it's sort of guerrilla program making and in fact uh, I was making a I was you know recording a play just last week which actually took place in the lead actor's house because he it was also something he'd co written um, as as a comedian over here called Johnny Vegas who's also a very gifted actor Um, and uh, and, uh, Johnny he's nothing like Las Vegas the whole irony is that Johnny couldn't be less Las Vegas if you met him I should add (laughs) so I'm in a house in the north of England where he plays his character showing a bunch of guests around with a view to selling it he's being his own realtor and um and we did the whole thing on two Zoom H2s and a, and a Marantz um, portable, which means that we, um, we were totally free to move around the house with the characters. We didn't have to stay in one place. And the movement moves around. I mean, there were syncing issues afterwards. Uh, it's been a game pulling all the tracks together in sync. But once I would got it, fantastic, because um, I could pull focus for the first time. I'm actually pulling focus between recording devices as to where in the action I want to go. And this has always been one of my things. How can you make it? How can you intuitively lead the listener through your journey um, in such a way that they, the picture is preserved, their, their image, the mental image is preserved for them, but your microphone is always in the right place for the action being depicted yeah i want to
0: i want any young budding producers to have heard that um you know the equipment you're talking about probably all three of those devices is less than a thousand dollars us which is remarkable
4: insane insane and the thing was fred you'll like this um 20 years ago when i started this business i used to say uh, I, I wanted to go home and edit. The uh, Radio Light Entertainment Department was, and Douglas based in the books Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy Building on Radio Light Entertainment Department, because if you left your room to go to the John for, for 30 seconds and came back, six writers had t- commandeered your typewriter to write their sketch for that week's satire show. Huh. Um, you know, you, you, you had to really nail everything down it all disappeared you know typewriters pianos just walked out of that place uh, we, i used to say can i take this stuff home to edit and they said, oh, okay, well, do you want to take your program home to edit oh well you know that superman what's that on three reels that will be three ten inch reels of quarter inch tape and um you'll need to rent one of these editing machines and they, when they say rent editing machine i'm talking about renting this thing that weighed 50 pounds okay and carry this home and do the edit on it and bring all this back in again and recording on location I mean if you were lucky a nagra um, if you weren't so lucky, a Ewer, which was a heavier kind of portable machine, um, you're talking about serious back injury inducing. Um, tens of thousands of dollars worth of gear to go and do a basic recording, and now you can get one of these portable machines for what two, three hundred dollars. You're out there, you can record in perfect what they used to call broadcast quality. So, yeah, what the hell's stopping you? Why are you listening to this? Get out and record something now!
0: It's 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 mind blowing. Just to add in a personal aside here, you know, I I just toured South Africa for five weeks. I had a sixteen gig card, which is you know twenty four hours of uh, 24-bit 48 kilohertz audio on a card with the size of my fingernail. Yeah, uh, you know that cost me $15, and you know this recorder fits in my pocket. I I'm able to pull it up in the middle of a you know walking around the sidewalk, and I'm like that sounds neat. I'm just going to record that, and that and that to me was just mind blowing. That uh you know it, it's totally sort of changed my whole. Uh, view of, wh- of what I do as an audio artist.
4: I love your account of doing it on finalrune.com because what intri- intrigues me, I love the fact that you could pull this thing out and to all intents and purposes, you weren't standing with a pair of headphones and a, a dead cat on a, on a thing. You could just pull this thing out and pretend to be, you know, like messaging on a mobile phone or a <laughs> cell phone. And actually you're recording. And, and, and so you, drew, you draw no attention to yourself. Nobody changes their behavior. Uh, and, and you get the most outstanding I mean, your Thunderclap I'm just so stealing that, Fred I'm telling you now <laughs> It's such a cool Thunderclap um, you know, This is, this is uh, fantastic And this is the other thing about working in audio um, uh, uh, my, I, I Don't get I've got friends I, I do picture work So, you know, everything I say from now on is I'm being very tongue-in-cheek and, and, and naughty But um, I have a friend uh, in the business Who calls anyone with a camera a vidiot and I don't. <laughs> but here's the thing. You know what? Video is great, but it's literal. It's a literal medium. What you see is what is there. If you can't do high end CGI, everybody's going to see that you faked it. Audio is much more forgiving. You can try stuff out in audio, and you can go to places and create images instantly that would take a lot of expertise and a lot of friends with high-end machines to create in video. You can just do that and, and, and create stories and experiences. And the thing about video is it's fantastic. I love movies. You know, this, my greatest pleasure in life is watching movies. But if I've got boring job, you know, or chipping wood or whatever, at least I can listen to something while I'm doing it. You know, you can, you can lose yourself in something.
0: And you say, I mean, one of your other interviews, you say that, you know, we'll have audio as long as people have to take commutes in cars, which I think is a, a fair point.
4: Yeah, as soon as a, a Star Trek invent the transporter, we're sunk. We've lost it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Um, but, but one more word on that. I mean, so how do you feel about the, the modern audiences? I mean, I've, I'm sitting here and I've seen that it's hugely web-driven. As someone who has both that broadcast experience, you know, stuff that's literally going out on BBC radio, yeah. uh, what, do you, what do you think about audiences today and, and um, you know, the popularity of audio drama?
4: I th- you know what? I just, I, it's funny. enough For my birthday, couple, uh, 10 days ago, I got a uh, radio for The Kitchen that also gets internet radio. and wow. Wow. I mean, what a world is out there of stuff. It's just completely revolutionized what I'm listening to. I'm not tired to listening to BBC anymore, and I don't want to be tired to listen to BBC anymore. I know what the BBC is going to give me. And, yeah, there are certain programs I'll, I'll want to listen to, but there's, you know, a lot I won't. We now live in an age where I, I was really worried about 10 years ago that, that radio was going to die. I, I saw BBC Commissioning Policy, which i don 't think it's good, and i still don 't think it's good i don 't think BBC this is talking in my own backyard, I know, but you know the commissioning policy um, uh, it seemed to me to be chasing um, chasing uh, ratings and audiences instead of building on, a, on you know building excellence and, and being uh, innovative and exciting um, but those are you know whatever my be with the bbc but but my pr- my problem was i 'm watching people deserting radio i 'm watching uh, youngsters in this country they might listen to the music stations but no one's listening to the spoken word because no spoken word is being made that people want to listen to yeah. and i would go in you know i would never now be able to sell superman or batman to bbc radio that's how different it is now and for me if you don't put programming on like that, you're not going to attract young people. And there are an awful lot of emails I get from people who are now in radio who said I would never even have thought of listening to the thing if I hadn't heard Superman and Batman mm. in those days. So you know what, there's there's kind of a need to do that stuff. Um, which certainly in the UK isn't happening for broadcast. Um but suddenly there's a whole new uh way of of getting stuff out there of disseminating it and distributing it. And that excites me beyond measure. Because I think, I think there are issues with quality control. I think we all have to be very aware that once you start doing this for consumption, I think you start doing this stuff for your own pleasure and your friend's pleasure. There's no greater fun than playing with a recording machine among friends, but then it's so easy now to get on to podcast uh, or you know onto the internet and so on, mm-hmm. and that's where an awful lot of quality control isn't being exercised by people actually thinking, you know what, I could do this better if I spent five more minutes thinking about it. Uh, I could editorially, you know, make this sharper. Um, And that's that's the downside. But the upside is commissioning editors sitting in ivory towers now are not necessarily the arbiters of what people will listen to and if you have a good idea and you put the work into to uh, write it well and one thing we haven't talked about fred is is script writing which is mm-hmm. you know very important to what we do good script writing uh, and it's a discipline and it is it needs to be learned just like any other skill but you know if there if 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 there is a quality if all of us go at this thinking once people are listening to what i do i want it to be as good as it possibly can be i don't want to be layering on so many sound effects they can't hear the words i don't want to be pumping so much compression and limiting into it the thing goes whoa 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 in their ear um and i don't want the script to uh to be either uh, patronizing or stupid I, i need to think about making writing this to the best possible level i can or editing this documentary in the most Uh, intelligent and reasonably argued way. If we use the new technology and the new means of distribution in an intelligent and artistically well-judged way, we are in for a fantastic renaissance of, of audio, and I think it's the most exciting thing, I really do.
0: We've got the Hitchhiker's Live show coming up. Uh, any other uh, new projects? Uh, you know, re- Reasonably, recently, is Sexton Blake. Any, any other uh, shows people should be stay tuned for? Well,
4: Sexton Blake, we, we want to do more of those, but the, 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 this is a character who's been around nearly as long as Sherlock Holmes, and there's a big, big fan base, and it's really interesting uh, looking on uh, Amazon, the UK and the US site, because the US site of Amazon, for Sexton Blake uh, uh, all the reviews pretty much all the reviews are saying this is really fun I really like it and the UK one all the Sexton Blake fans have come out saying this is dreadful what have they done with our hero Uh, it's absolutely disgusting Um, so uh, we going to we, we're, those writers. The guys who wrote that are just geniuses, and uh, I'm. we we now. They're working on a new project for us, which is not to do with anyone else's intellectual property. It's going to be completely our own. So I'm really looking mm. forward to what they turn out for with that, and and I I'm, that will you know some, something will come from that. Um, but in the meantime, uh, well, um, Hitchhikers is taking a bit of time, but I am working on Neil Gaiman's Neverwhere. Um, uh, novel, which uh, we're going to be dramatising i uh, I'm um, dramatising and directing at least one episode of which for BBC Radio 4 at the end of the year. So that'll be exciting, because we're talking about going on location for that, and the London Underground, which is um, wow. anyone who's been to London will know, is a fairly interesting place to record. Acoustically, it'll be a real Uh, a real challenge but very exciting to do
0: great well thanks so much Dirk. and we'll we'll have to have you back when when you've gotten everywhere out i'd love to hear how that goes um i also understand that neil gaiman's uh you know as as an author is, is into radio drama as well so i'll be excited to hear how that all all comes together
4: absolutely no Neil is totally for it and also we're hoping to have Neil as one of our guest voices of the book for our tour he's, he says he oh, wants fantastic. to do it, he to work out it. Uh, if he, he's, he's over from uh, where is he uh, Minnesota somewhere
0: yeah he gets sucked on our, our side of the pond nowadays
4: yeah, so your pond, yeah but he's coming over for a family wedding in Holland so I'm huh. going to grab him on the way back but uh, you yeah, know Neil's up for it no the good thing about radio is you'd be amazed he'll do it you'll be amazed yeah. he'll, he'll do it because they love it love it love it it's fantastic
0: oh, awesome well thanks so much Dirk. It's been a, a true pleasure. I uh, Really appreciate your time. Learning about you know this this whole love of audio drama and the story of Hitchhikers, as well as your other work and um, and and enjoying audio movies and you know from from your early stuff until today, where uh, things are quite exciting.
4: My pleasure. Thank you, Fred.
0: All right, and that was Dirk Mags. Um, you can hear his work in many different places. Um, pick up many of his titles through Amazon or, as I mentioned earlier, Audible. Audibletrial.com/radiodrama gets you a free title and a free. 30-day subscription to them. Um, you can also check out the site directly for his Perfectly Normal productions at perfectlynormal.net. Um, they've got information about the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy live radio show coming up this summer. If you have any chance to be in the UK, that's going to be something <laughs> to not to miss. And before we leave the Hitchhiker's World, I've got to say this scene is from the tertiary phase I'm going to share with you. It just shows off how brilliant you can use audio. Um it is not any of the you know signature Douglas Adams' humor and wordplay and the scenes between the main characters. It is something that uses that is uniquely to audio, and I, I think this is one of my favorite little moments in the th- third tertiary phase here. Um, Got to share. All right, I'll be back with you in a second.
10: Later editions of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy do include sound effects to illustrate its more obscure entries. However, as the editor in chief, brackets, sound hyphen, ursa minor, brackets, would be the first to admit, some of their efforts, such as that one, might perhaps have benefited by his team going that extra light year. Even the airless trolls of Fidelio 6 would agree that banging a Megadodo Corporation souvenir coffee mug on the editor in chief's office minibar scarcely cuts the mustard. It is for this reason that the latest update features the work of the small but dedicated independent company Philadelphia Soundscapers. Their reputation was established not so much with their awe-inspiring repertoire of bangs, bells and whistles, but with their now famous 783,000 bespoke varieties of silence, such as and the latter winning several major awards. Indeed, soundscapers argue that there are times when only a medium, which bypasses the optic nerve, can truly do justice to the ineffability of the galaxy. Take, for example, the unlocking of the wicket gate. Space unpinches itself, and the silence is shattered in a mind-hurting instant as the key slowly turns in the lock. And to recreate this, soundscapers have opted for this stark yet elegant compromise.
0: Philadelphia soundscapers. There you go. Uh, yeah, and so more at Dirk's website again. That is perfectlynormal.net and Audible and Amazon.com both have tons of his material for you to learn more and links on our website. Real amazing uh, interviews he's given with uh, Roger of Crazy Dog Audio Theater, as well as a diary he kept producing the new Hitchhiker's Guide radio show um, on the BBC website, and they've got uh, you know talks about how. He and Douglas were talking about recreating these shows on audio, how it sort of started and stopped and, and uh, took year, many years to happen, but how it ultimately did happen, sadly, after Douglas's passing. But um, oh, uh, also a great way to uh, pass Douglas's legacy onto a new generation um, and to show that audio still has a lot to offer in the modern age. And we that will this will not be the end of BBC related producers that you'll be hearing this month. Uh, we're actually going to be featuring John Dryden um, later this month. Uh, John has a new show called Pandemic, which was recorded in the UK and Brazil. Um, speaking of location productions, John um, is just amazing at it, um, and I've learned a lot from him. His productions are just completely breathtaking. Um, he, you know, we heard played Severed Threads last year, which I think says all that needs to be said. Um, about the quality of his location recordings as well as The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood That was also either last year, maybe it was 2010 And uh, we'll be maybe featuring a little bit more of his work coming up um, As well as an interview with him talking about his approach uh, to audio drama As another one of the the, the real masters who's independent But also uh, has a lot of his work commissioned regularly by BBC Radio 4 So Um, this is just sort of a lot of exciting stuff happening in audio, um, all over the place, you know, and, and, and almost all of it independent, whether, um, independent for commissioned or independent for the love of it or everything in between. Um, this has just been a thrill as it always is. So where does that leave us? That leaves us with over 200 hours of audio dramas that you can hear for free from our podcast website at radiodrama.com revival.com you can also of course follow our facebook page radio drama revival or at twitter at radio drama uh search us on itunes search for radio drama revival and please leave a review if you care for this show or consider joining one of our final rune fivers donate five dollars a month to this show details at radio drama revival.com appreciate all the support we can get we do this out of the love of it uh taking the time to talk to the producers throughout the spectrum of audio drama to uh, get you know get some permission to play some of their material and share it for free each week uh, but we love it too so uh, thanks again and with that said we do have a wrap Radio Drama Revival is produced by yours truly Fred Greenhalge. copyright of individual productions remains their original producers but do please share this show as far and widely as you'd like Radio Drama Revival is, it originates in on-air radio at WMPG-FM Southern Maine's Community Radio it is podcast at radiodramarevival.com as a labor of love as always keep your mind and your ears open thanks for tuning in and have a great week